This is a Stoppage Time podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Stoppage Time. As always, I'm your host, David Ordway, and I am joined in the studio by the usual three. Andy Hewling, how are we doing tonight, Andy? Doing good, David. How about you? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Had some Mama Goldbergs for dinner. Mm. Yeah. It's good. You got to put the mama's love. It's a staple sandwich. Mm, great Next to the person that doesn't like sandwiches, Chris Basinger. How you doing, Chris? Uh, I'm good, but I just want to express my belief in that I do not believe in sandwiches. Uh, there are many other foods that you can choose to eat. Why choose a sandwich? <sighs> yeah. And Harrison School. How are you doing, Harrison? Uh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. You know, just uh, made dinner, and now once we're up, finished with this i've got a chocolate easter bunny waiting for me back at my place oh nice savory i hope everyone had a very happy easter weekend and it was a a fairly happy weekend for a lot of premier league fans uh definitely manchester city who won two to nothing against leicester uh benjamin mindy scored in the 58th minute and gabriel jesus in the 74th andy you guys are just continuing where you left out off what did you take away from this game well, I think it was kind of a slow start for City, but they were able to kind of figure things out. And honestly, was really shocked that Benjamin Mendy got on the score sheet. Uh, did not see that coming, but good for him. You know, honestly, I would say Leicester did set up well. I mean, they're one of those teams that they know what to expect from City, and Brendan Rodgers did a good job of holding City at bay for most of the game. But it took, you know, a great shot from Benjamin Mindy and then a beautiful assist pass from Kevin De Bruyne to uh, Jesus, who slotted it to Sterling, who slotted it back to Jesus for a goal. So really, you know, it it took City breaking them apart. But I thought Leicester were able to uh, really, you know, hold City from getting any more goals. And I thought they did a good job for the most part uh, containing City despite losing 2-0. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, City really dominated. Um the the entire game, but they got off to a slow start. I'm going to put that down to players returning from international break, just trying to get readjusted uh, to the system, of course. However, I, I was a bit unimpressed with Sergio Aguero. Right, he's been out for a while. He only created uh, 0.15 xG over the whole game uh, before being subbed off. But a player that I was even less impressed about had to be Jamie Vardy. Right, he had that offside goal that was chalked off, um, but. Apart from that, he played 90 minutes, and he had zero shots over the entire game apart from that offside one. City did a great job of negating him, and that's why Leicester couldn't get on the score sheet. I mean, we're looking at two older strikers now that are coming into the twilights of their Premier League uh, career. Uh, Vardy seems to keep on pushing, though, um, but with Aguero leaving at the end of the year, there will be a replacement, as we talked about last week. Uh Manchester City have, you know, continued to keep their gap in the Premier League table. They are up 14 points with a uh, – Manchester United does have a game in hand, but they're still up 14 points with uh, just eight or seven games to play. Liverpool-Arsenal, 3 to nothing Liverpool. And this was kind of a game that was a tale of two halves. The first half was uh, – both halves were, seemed to be dominated by Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool finally got the go-ahead after they bought – brought Diego Jota into the game. Um, Chris, mm-hmm. uh, this is back to your winning ways. You did beat a big six club, even though this one big six club is not playing like they are right now. Uh, 
and it was another game that was away from home. Am I correct? So you're not at home. You're not losing at home. That's a plus. Uh, you guys are now three points off top four. Uh, what, did, what, what did you take away from this game as a huge positive that you hadn't seen in the past? Uh, so not necessarily that I hadn't seen in the past, but maybe that we've seen over the past three games, and that's got to be Fabinho playing in the midfield. I cannot stress this enough how important it is uh, for him in the midfield to be able to uh, provide cover for the center back tandem of Nat Phillips and Kabak who have started the past three games and have gotten three clean sheets, um, but also providing cover for the midfielders, right? So we've seen Tiago really struggling this season, trying to get forward, trying to create those passes because he's having to play more defensively. Fabinho being there allows Tiago that space to go forward. We would have seen Gini Wijnaldum playing, but he played every minute for the Netherlands except for 10 minutes uh, where he was subbed off right at, I believe, the 79th minute. Um, but this is Liverpool getting back to consistency, right? It's huge. Uh, the Liverpool of the past few seasons, you could predict the lineup every single week. It was going to be Allison, Trent, Matt or Gomez, whoever was playing well at the time, and they would go on runs of three or four months of just them playing. Virgil, Robertson, Fabinho, Henderson, Winalda, Mane, Salah, Firmino. Now over the past three games, uh, bar the Milner for Winalda switch, We've seen Allison, Trent, Phillips, Kabak, Robertson, Fabinho, Thiago, Wijnaldum, Mane, Salah, Firmino. If you, you, I guarantee you, you are going to see that exact lineup tomorrow. Um, and it's just because consistency is key, right? Also, Diogo Jota coming into the match, huge. He was subbed on for Robertson, which might confuse a few people, but James Milner plays left back, slots into that position, Diogo Jota goes forward. Before Diogo came on, the XG of Liverpool, 0.37. In the time that Diogo was on the pitch, 2.07. This guy just adds everything. He's everything that Liverpool needed. He was a huge miss over the past few months, and he's welcome to return. I know Arsenal did lose this game through nothing, and Harrison, I know that Arsenal have uh, did not have Saka, did not have, as I call, Brexit De Bruyne. Uh, Neil Smith-Rowe, and they also lost Tierney uh, in the first half with a knee injury that nobody really knows how bad it is yet. Uh, Harrison, what should Arsenal take away from this? Again, it's another step in the process that they're they're going along with, and they have to. This is a long-term rebuild. The players that they have in certain areas of the pitch are not quality enough for the league. I thought tonight, or excuse me, yesterday, Ceballos was just around he wasn't really involved in the pitch he is the player in those kinds of games where they know they're going to have to concede a lot of possession to a team like Liverpool he's got to be decisive he has to be smart and quick in his decision making because you don't get gifted the ball that often to a team like that and he just wasn't he wasn't efficient with the ball and he doesn't seem to be in these big games I think there were moments where Pepe was being ushered by his teammates to get up the field. That's not, you cannot have that in a team. It just looked like a bunch of players that were told, you're going to have to work for the ball tonight. And they didn't want to, and they didn't. And that's what happened. They were run around the pitch. And an interesting stat that Monday Night Football and Sky Sports gave tonight was when Saka and Smith Rowe start together, in the 10 games they've played together, they're averaging 2.2 points and two goals per game. They just, they bring a lot 
with the ball, but without it. They bring energy that the older guys just don't seem to have, and it hurts to not have them. And Tierney is going to hurt to not have. Absolutely, I, I just uh, it's going to be a, it's it's just part of the process. You cannot lose your minds over these results every single week, which is is what startled me. It's just how how crazy people went over this result. Liverpool are still a very great a very good team. You know, they have great players. Diogo Jota for club and country is averaging a goal and an assist every 90 minutes. That's outstanding. Mm-hmm. They have outstanding talent. You're going to get rolled over by some of these teams. Arteta has a lot of in-betweeners. You know, he doesn't know if they're going to be long-term guys or if they're going to be short-term guys. You know, and some of them, he sees clearly that they're not a part of his plan. So this is, this, this is just part of the process, and it, it is going to keep going on. Arteta has, you know, Arsenal is in 10th right now. Uh, did the Aston Villa win yesterday. Um, and they have, they have 42 points. Now, the, the big thing for them is you know, they've won 12 games and they've lost 12 games. This is the first time that they have lost 12 games in the Premier League era. Uh, you know, and though I asked some Arsenal fans that I, I've known for years about just what they've thought about Arteta and the future, and they basically both said to me that they kind of – don't really they don't hate him they don't love him um you know they've seen what he's trying to do on the ball tactically they have seen games where it was like the old arsenal the way they want to play um and then he's done some things that they question uh, one of the things that they do question um and kind of rubs them the wrong way not to the point where they want him gone this most i think uh, sky sports or the athletic put out a thing that uh i think more than like 80 percent of arsenal fans want arteta to stay so I think that's a big tell that the fans want him to stay. Uh, but one thing they did say is they understand the Guendouzi, how they pushed, he pushed him out because of the attitude problem. You know, that was Emery. You know, he had Emery pushed Guendouzi out. But the one that they questioned was Saliba. Um, and and no one's going to understand why that happened. You know, we can all guess and see. But that's the only thing that they really question, you know. And they understand that, you know, the team's kind of struggling right now. They have some really good players. But they're hoping that uh, – I asked them both what their goal would be next season and they said fifth or sixth. Um, my worry for Arsenal, though, is, you know, if you don't get Europa, uh, you're losing money. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I, I think that's a fair position uh, for next season. Also, you have to think about Mesut Ozil, too, that whole situation. Well, and him. But they said that was – they thought that was the higher-ups rather mm-hmm. than Arteta. Their wage bill structure is holding them back, as United's was hold, held back with Alexis Sanchez. The highest-paid players are currently guys that he doesn't exactly see as part of the future. If a disgruntled Aubameyang is sitting on the bench with a disgruntled Pepe, it doesn't settle and that doesn't sit well in the squad. That kind of thing just breathes in the environment that you're in. And he, he's already got that against him. And... Gary Neville described it as a mafia of players when they were walking off the pitch after the final whistle blew. It's just players that just didn't look like they were interested. They didn't buy into what was around them. And if the if the highest paid players at the club are not buying into what he's selling, it's going to leave the board in an extremely difficult position because it, it would be absolutely miserable for them to take cuts on players in a time like this that they're in financially. And it's a shame that Obama hasn't... Um done what he did last year when he tied for the Golden Boot this year after signing a new contract. That's a shame. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not blaming Aubameyang. I'm just saying, like, he doesn't play out wide anymore. That's not – he doesn't have that. Um, he needs to play the middle. And Lacazette's obviously been a better striker in the middle lately. Uh, to move on to Chelsea, West Bromwich Albion, <laughs> this was the – I wish I would have woke up. I, I told Chris this earlier. Um, 
Yeah, you really missed a good one. It, it started off how we all expected it. Uh, Christian Pulisic, Captain America, scored in the 27th minute uh, after a, a free kick deflected. Pulisic put it in. It was a nice finish. And then literally two minutes later, uh, Thiago Silva got his second yellow card after getting his first in the first four minutes of the game. And, boy, you would think that that wouldn't change to West Brom and Sam Allardyce, but, boy, did it. West Bromwich Albion won five, yes, five goals to two at Stamford Bridge. West Bromwich Albion scored 20% of their season's goals in this game. West Brom have scored 33% of their season's goals this season, so a third against Chelsea Football Club. Andy, was this an anomaly? Was this just a red card and you're missing your leader at the back? Or was this the Tuchel... Manager bump has is starting to wear off. I think it was kind of an anomaly, to be honest. I mean, Chelsea has been in really good form, but let's. I think credit though has to go to West Brom because they've had these games where they've shown that they can be creative. They've got. I think Matisse Pereira is a very, very talented player for them, and honestly, wouldn't be surprised if bigger clubs are looking at him as a potential replacement for some of their players. And I really do think Big Sam, uh, you know, it was kind of a steal, and yes, they benefited from the red card, but I thought it was a really good performance from the, I mean, the third goal that they scored uh, that Robinson Kanu put in, what a strike. And I'm telling you, they are they have a chance uh, to maybe make some noise going into the deep part of this relegation battle. I know they're still seven points back, but right now Fulham and Newcastle are not really trending in the right direction. So they may pull West Brom into the race before the end of the season. Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into this from a Chelsea perspective. I just wouldn't. I think this is just after the international break. They had several guys leave. Um, you know, you had Pulisic, who was probably one of your brighter players in a, in a not fantastic first half, had to come off at halftime due to an injury. And, yeah, they just got caught out by a team that didn't have anybody on international duty, and they were fired up, and they caught him out. And Thiago Silva, I mean, that was just that was unacceptable as a 36-year-old with a, a defender with of his stature and of somebody with that much experience. It doesn't make any sense, and uh, it was very naive of him. But I will say with the red card, though, I mean, when you look at the replay, I mean, no, he has no business diving in or sliding in like he did. But I thought it was a little harsh from the referee to give him a second yellow on that. I mean, that's just my opinion, because I think when you look at it, he was really hesitant uh, sliding in because he kind of looked like, oh, I'm just not going to try to take him out. He kind of almost looked like he hopped into it almost. He wasn't, it wasn't like a full sin slide. So I thought it was a little harsh, but I mean, I guess it was deserved. I think we talk about, we talk about referee mistakes he, a lot on here. And I think in this aspect of the game, I'm okay with the ref giving it. I, I understand it. If he wouldn't have given it, I would have been okay with that too. It's one of those things that that's the that's why we have referees. It's at their discretion. That was at his discretion. He made a decision on a on a second yellow. It, and I understand the harshness of a second yellow. If that would have been his first yellow, that was automatically a yellow. You can look at it that way. Uh, I mean, Harrison, he left his feet. Thing. I mean, oh, yeah, that's all I can feet. say. He's just, he's left his feet and he went out and he put himself out there for that decision to be made and he just shouldn't have put himself in that situation to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't 
clumsy. It wasn't like a, a you know a bad. It wasn't a bad challenge. I'm just saying that you know it. He wasn't going full send into it. That made me feel like oh he absolutely deserved it. But I mean like David said, it was up to the referee's choice and discretion. Uh, but I thought it was a little harsh, but I understand why he gave it. I, I think this is the first time that we've ever heard the words full send twice in the <laughs> same episode. Uh, but I agree with you, Andy. I, th- I think um, I think he was reckless. Uh, I really do. I think, right, he's he's a mature player. He shouldn't be doing that sort of thing, especially on a yellow card. You, you could say it's a bit light, and I would probably agree with you, but it was reckless. He took it. Um, Something that I also wasn't impressed with during this match, right? Chelsea had a 2.56 XG. West Brom only had a 1.38. If you're a Chelsea fan, you really shouldn't be worrying about this, apart from maybe um, confidence going into the Porto game. Uh, but Timo Werner just couldn't... He He's just not getting it, right? We saw that terrible, terrible miss that he had for Germany. Ball just bumbled under him. Gundogan's reaction to that. Timo Werner also only had one shot this game for a 0.02 XG. Uh, Tuchel was talking about it in a press conference. Uh, He was saying that this is just one of those things that'll come to him. It's like he's a baseball player in a slump. You know, he just hasn't been able to hit for a while. But um, it seems like this has been a theme for the entire season, hasn't it? I think it's it's fair to say that Timo Werner, his job is a little bit in jeopardy, um, especially for next season. Um, you know, he's absolutely going to keep the role. It's amazing that Tammy Abraham is Chelsea's leading scorer and he can't get a minute. Um, and so hopefully, you know, Timo can get something going here towards the end of the season. But his job, Chelsea Football Club is not a football club that will put a striker up there that doesn't score goals. They'll buy somebody. And we talked about this last week about Holland. They could go get they can go get anybody they really want to because they have the money to. Moving on. Oh, I don't want to talk about this. Newcastle United 2, Tottenham Hotspur 2. Uh, you know, first I want to say Harry Kane did score a brace on the 30th and 34th minute after Jolinton scored the 28th, and then uh, Joe Willock, the Arsenal boy, brought the draw home for Newcastle United. Chris, you and I watched the game together, and what did, sure I say, did. what did I say to you in the 60th minute? Feeling like a draw. Looks like a draw. Yeah, so... In this game, right, this is just another one that Tottenham just couldn't seem to put it away. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because Newcastle were kind of playing into them. I know Tottenham had a lot of possession, couldn't really get anything going up front. Harry Kane had a wonderful brace, but apart from that, it didn't didn't look like Tottenham were dominating the entire game, right? It was just two moments. Uh, And, of course, having Son not starting is going to be impactful to how Tottenham perform. He's coming off a muscular They, they play better without Sun on the field. Yeah, but you can't say that over the entire season. No, no, no. That's not true. This but, just, but this, this game in particular, one game. Uh, you know, interesting stats. You're right, Tottenham did have 58% of the possession as Andy breaks his mic off. So that's a that's a good start. to the. Or, it's portable now. Yeah, it, it is. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Newcastle did have 22 shots, two Tottenham's 11. They had double the shots. They had uh, Newcastle did only have six on target. In saying that, this was an absolutely dreadful performance from Spurs. Uh, other than Harry Kane bailing them out of two goals, you having fun over there? I 
Andy, I turned off your mic for the time being, so yeah, just that's, that's figure it out over there. <laughs> I'm twisting it back in. This, this, is the, this is the first time that that's ever happened on the show. But, you know, it actually brought a lo- smile on my face. Sorry, Andy, are you back with us? Yes, I am. <laughs> he survived. Anyway, but uh, some interesting things ha- occurred that I want to talk about that happened after the game. Right. Uh, Jose Mourinho has been known for his interesting press conferences, especially at Manchester United. Uh, and yesterday was one of the first times that I had seen something that I said, the time is coming very quickly, and I could see it coming after this upcoming weekend. Reason being is because he was asked a question. He's asked two questions. The first one was somebody asked him about how in the past with Chelsea, with with Porto, with Inter Milan, Real Madrid, why Jose has been known for getting results out of being up by one goal closing out games and someone asked what what's changed and he said same coach different players which is basically throwing the players under the bus uh and the, the 11 that he shocking got, whoa oh i know i know uh but the also el- jose would know a thing or two about buses this is true too uh and then the other thing that i saw that i saw that was really interesting was he was asked about toby alderweireld and toby alderweireld you know, has been a, a really star player for Tottenham for the last six years. Uh, signed a new contract as soon as, um, you know, Tottenham, uh, Jose Mourinho was brought in. And he was asked about Toby Alderweireld and why he wasn't in the squad. And his answer was because Toby Alderweireld was not cleared by COVID protocols on Friday. He did not have enough time to, be, to practice and be cleared with the squad to play in the game, which was then later disputed. By the evening standard, I believe, uh, and a few other people that Toby was back. He, they came back on Wednesday when most other players came back. There's photos of him in training on Friday. On Friday. Uh, which was just a blatant lie to the press, which was another player that I could go on a list of that Jose now refuses to play. Uh, the starting 11 that he had in this game was a starting 11 that, in my opinion, that was the only starting 11 he could play because he upset everybody else. Uh, I have an interesting quote that I brought off of uh, one of the guys I listened to a Tottenham podcast, and he just said, I feel sorry for Jose Mourinho. People label him a dinosaur for the way his teams play football when, in reality, it's the dressing room culture that has changed. You know, players now have all the power due to various different factors, such as agents, and we saw this very evidently at United, especially with the personalities in that dressing room. Jose's football requires a full buy-in from the players and those who are willing to buy and go to war for him. Sir Alex and Jose Jose, uh, are two great examples of managers who had much success from having a full control over the dressing room. And when you look back at old Jose's videos, you can see how important that it is that he is a coach and his footballing philosophy that the players in the 2010 Champions League semifinal gave everything at the camp new to win. Well, that's cool. It's 2021, and, and he didn't adjust. And it's changed. Um, and I, I agree with that statement. I don't personally believe it's the tactics. I understand there's nothing wrong with the tactics if you have the right players who will give absolutely everything for the club shirt. And I mean throw their body in the line. But the players in this in 2021, as Harrison said, do not do that anymore. There is no John Terry's. There is no Frank Lampard's. Sure, you, a Harry Kane is a great example of a player that will do that. There were players at Manchester United that wanted to play for Jose. But it's not the same anymore. Mark Noble. He'll do it for West Ham. Anyways, um, when we're talking about Tottenham, right, we got to separate it into the pitch, 
and the dressing room, of course, like you have been doing. People are talking about Mourinho out. Well, at this moment in time, they are in sixth place, right? Ten points off from where Tottenham finished last season. Tottenham finished sixth place last season on 59 points, right? So that means Tottenham only need to get 10 more points from the eight games that they have left in order to be at the same points total as they were last season. Like, only only three wins. I don't think you can say that Jose's job is secure if you only get three wins. But let's let's go on from that, right? 16 wins this season. Or, sorry, 16 wins last season. And they're at 14 wins this season right now. They're out of the Europa League. They're still in the Carabao Cup final. The, the whole Jose out narrative only stems from boring performances on the pitch and dressing room drama. But that's the problem, right? He's a poison. Every club that he goes to, he is a poison to them. He is a poison to the dressing room. He is a poison to the atmosphere. I think most neutrals would say that they liked Tottenham when Pochettino was there because they were the nice club. And I know that Jose came in and said, oh, everyone here is too nice. But um, I, I think there's a litmus test for this. And I was talking to my dad about this uh, last year when Jose came. And it's whenever Jose goes to a club, if you liked players before he was there and you start to hate players after he arrives, then that's when you can tell that he's really done a, a number on this club. And the player to look for is Son. Everyone loves Son. But if you can get to hate Son, then he's he, he's destroyed the club. And I think you can say that just about almost every player except for Son. Because he, all, every player has either done something dislikable or has gotten in some kind of spat with Jose. Look, in that time. I, I found myself hating Jose, not a player. I just was, I mean, his demeanor, he just goes, and he just loses himself while he's in the job. And it's just, it's it's not enjoyable. Nope. He throws everybody under the bus. This is not how you, you got to be able to put your arm around people. He's not going to do that. If I was a Tottenham fan, I would be terrified for the future because poison erodes, and United was... Uh, wasting away for several months in the season and it was dreadful to watch and it was draining the players and I think Tottenham I, need to consider this and I, I just think that he doesn't have the defenders and that's the foundation of what he needs he doesn't have the defenders to do what he wants to do so that's already the what's going against him I it is clear as day for me why he targeted Davidson and Sanchez in the 2017 Europa League final. I mean, I, I don't see how Tottenham felt he was the caliber of Premier League center back. He's just not. He's, he's, he's a decent center back with the right center back. Tanda, the problem is we don't have that right now. He was he was clumsy. Oh, he absolutely. Was, he was careless oh, on the, the ball. Game? I okay. just didn't really like what I saw from him. I don't like what I see from him often because he's a bit reckless too. Tanganga, I don't, I just don't think Tanganga's quite ready for it. And this is what he's working with, and he's leaving all their viral out, lying to the media about it. He Our loves, best center back, he leaves out and he lies to the media about it. You can't do that. I mean, like, and the other thing is, you were talking about Son. I want to mm -hmm. talk about Gareth Bale. Mm -hmm. Gareth Bale is loved by Tottenham fans, adored. Daniel Levy went out and got him to come back. And we can all sit there and go, oh, it was a great signing. It was a bad signing. Gareth Bale played a month time, scored five goals, and hasn't seen the, pit, the, the pitch since. Hasn't seen the pitch. He came on as a substitute with five minutes to go after we, went, we tied the game. He's not he, 
I don't hate Gareth Bale at all. I love him. I still think he's a he's a he's a, a god in my head. But that's a great example of a player that Jose Mourinho has. Deli Alley too. Tottenham fans love him, but Jose Mourinho doesn't. Andy, I just I I really tend to agree with Harrison's point because I've seen this firsthand watching you know Manchester United with Jose Mourinho. I think you have to come to a point, and I'm not saying this for you specifically in Tottenham, but I just think people have to come to a point and realize that Jose the last couple of years is running teams in the ground. And I I don't think of this ta- like I don't think it's tactics. I don't think it's it some maybe has a little bit to do with the players and the the culture of the team, but I think it's Jose's personality is just not there. I go back to United. I mean, Harrison can tell you more, but there's just got to a point where it was almost embarrassing like to watch. I mean, I every game that City played at Old Trafford, I was so confident going into it. And that shouldn't be against a Jose team. The last time we played J- Tottenham, it was a walk in the park. Now, I mean, okay, this is a City team that's playing so well, but, but it's beside the point. Tottenham in a Jose Mourinho side should be tough to beat. And sure, you need the likes of a team, you know, that that can you know play against the best and I think Jose has that I mean they're a good team we saw this team you know with Pochettino and they made a Champions League final I mean that's one step from glory yes one step from glory he's like a theme but I really I really really think that now with Jose in there it's he's running them in the ground yeah it's not one step from glory it's about 20 yes so I have a question to ask all of you. This is the last thing we'll talk about with the Spurs game. Will Jose make it to the end of the season? Andy? No. Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Will he be fired in the summer for the U2 that said yes? Don't know. Depends. I Yeah, it it depends on the, the feeling around the club when the season ends. That's mm-hmm. fair. If he does make it to the summer, it just depends on if there's a trophy. I agree. Speaking of Jose's old team, Manchester United won 2-1 to uh, Brighton Holth Albion. Uh, Brighton played very well in this game. Danny Welbeck scored in the 13th minute, and then Rashford scored a very nice goal in the 62nd. Mason Greenwood scored his second Premier League goal of the season in the 83rd. Uh, I got to tell you what, Manchester United, something that Ole does is come back when they're down a goal. Harrison. All right, let's get this out of the way. Had Mike Dean given the penalty, they would have let it happen, but since he on the field did not give it, they didn't give it. He didn't go look at the monitor. Why they don't do that, probably the 50th time we've asked that this season, uh, we move on. Anyway, poor performance from United, largely. That was uh, a dreadful first half, mostly. I mean, the first 10 minutes, I think they were all right in the first 10 minutes. But Bruno was not at his best. Pogba, not quite at his best. I thought that it was moments of individual brilliance again. I just think that that's what they ride there. That's their wave this season, and that's what they're doing. And... They got down, excellent save by Henderson at first, very unfortunate to parry it, right back into Welbeck. And a big moment for him, taking this number one spot from De Gea, which is what it feels like. I know that Ole in his press conference said we have two number one goalkeepers. He's obviously just keeping it up, whatever. But at the moment, Dean Henderson is between the sticks and he's starting. The team looks like they could keep scraping away with these 
wins and coming from behind, but they've got to get more solidity up front. They've got to get more consistency up front. Martial is done for a few weeks. I wouldn't say the rest of the season because uh, Ole had to correct that after the game yesterday. But, yeah, they got to find a little more consistency up front, more goals. Bruno is by far and away the leading scorer, and that just can't be. You know, you need to have more forwards contributing more goals. And, you know, Rashford is going to give you a certain amount of goals. And like you said, what a brilliant goal. He opened up his hips perfectly, took that excellently, and that's what you want to see from him. Those are the kinds of finishes that have been missing from his game that people have called for. And the second goal, I know we're – the majority of the stoppage time group was not too pleased with the result, but let's let's look at it from a strictly center forward's perspective. That was Mason Greenwood being an optimistic center forward, taking his chance, finding that spot, and getting a goal like that. And you, you guys, would all love your number nines to score goals like that. That's what you want to see. And I thought that was great. It was not, it really just it may have been nothing to some people, but I loved that he was looking for a goal like that. And I know nobody here will remember it, but I seem to remember everything he's doing this season. But the Luke Shaw pass in the build-up to Bruno Fernandez for that goal—God, he is the best left back this season, and it is unbelievable the comeback that this guy has had from a gruesome, gruesome leg injury all those years ago. The the post-surgery pictures horrendous, and to be where he is now, solidifying himself back as England's starting left back is is absolutely massive and I am extremely impressed. You said okay, first off, I wasn't upset about the goal. I was more upset about VAR. VAR Yeah, VAR is the reason that this game was the worst. We know it's the wording of the rule. We know it's the wording of the rule. Get out of the way. Come on. It was stupid. He should have looked at it. Regardless. We don't know why they don't look at him. They Harry, do it far Harry too often. Maguire clipped the back of his heel. I don't want to hear anything about it. Okay. All right. We'll we'll move on from far. I, but I, this I, I want to say I want to say something. I think it's really impressive what uh, Ole has done this season. We give him we gave him a lot of um, you know hate towards the beginning of the year about how he would be as a manager. It's impressive how many games that they have had this season that they. Well, have I still back. think some around the table are not as you know. But in, he's still at the wheel. In, in saying that, this game could have been different. Um, but they did – you won games. You need some luck sometimes to win games, and the teams that are the luckiest teams uh, sometimes win things. Um, and, you know, Manchester United, even though that they will not win the Premier League this year, they definitely could win the Europa League, um, and they're still in the FA Cup as well. Um, and they just seem to, as Harrison said, pull goals. Talent as well as luck. You well, know. No, no, but, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about more about like a you know, Manchester City team dominates in talent. Uh, and United does too. That's why they're in second place. Uh, but you know, a, go- a game like yesterday, there was a little bit of luck. But the talent that Bruno has, the talent that Luke Shaw has, and the talent that obviously Marcus Rashford has showed up. Okay, I'm going to give my two cents on it because everyone else seems to have. Uh, this was a game between the team that always seems to go down and come back versus the team that can never see out a game. Our favorite uh, expected points, fifth place. Brighton, uh, failing to see out a game, did not do much to add to their lead. They only had five shots over the entire game. Well back in Mope, um, combined for only two shots the entire game. And both of those um, were from uh, Welbeck, I believe. Uh, 
Yeah, United, 25 points from losing positions. Four losses, one draw, eight comeback wins. Huge. I mean, this this isn't a one-off. This is a trend, and this is just what they do. They win games. Is it? Would you guys all feel comfortable saying that they have probably found their Champions League spot for the rest of the season? Or Absolutely. Would, comfortably. They're 11 they, points clear yep. of fifth place at the moment. I think potentially not second, but definitely top four. No, I, I no, think they're I, second. They're clear they're second. They're clear second because Leicester, to me, mm-hmm. I th- as I said last week, I think top four is wide open. I think Liverpool are definitely, in my mind, the favorites to pick up the fourth spot. Uh, it depends on Chelsea. Leicester is telling. They have the hardest end of the season out of any team. Chelsea have a hard end of the season, too. But I think Y'all still are well, listening to West Ham United. Well, they are calling. They're, they're in the top four right now. I have the list up right now. Liverpool only plays two more teams in the current top ten. Now, of course, Liverpool have had their problems against the bottom six sides, apart from Sheffield United, which everyone can't beat. Um, but Liverpool, their two toughest opponents for the rest of the season, Aston Villa, Manchester United, and Leeds. Chelsea still have to play West Ham, still have to play Man City, Arsenal, Leicester City. And then Villa. They have Villa, too. And Villa, right? Leicester have West Ham, United, Chelsea, Tottenham. It's it's going to be really, really close right at the end of it. And that Tottenham-Leicester City game on the last day could mean a lot to many teams. It, it could. Uh, but I will say that I do believe United have the second spot pretty much tied up at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also playing with confidence. They have one of the best Premier League players of the season right now. Um, and Bruno Fernandez, um, and you know what? It's really interesting. You know, Dean, Hen- you brought up Dean Henderson starting, and how Ole says you have two number one goalkeepers, and you do. Um, that's how good you guys are right now. You're not in first, but you put your youngster in to take over the starting spot, and he seems to be thriving with it. Yeah, I think he's really comfortable between the sticks. I love his confidence. I love how far forward he's willing to get out of his box, and I think that gives United a different dimension, and they might be able to hold a higher line later on. I want to talk about one more Premier League game after this week, uh, from this past week. It was today. It was West Ham United who beat Wolves 3-2, to and the reason I want to talk about this game is, one, West Ham United is in fourth place. West Ham United is in fourth place. I will say that again. Ain't that a shocker? Uh, even though Andy did call it, but let's talk about Jesse Lingard. And also known as Messi Lingard because he played outstanding today. Harrison, oh, oh, stop it! He looks electric. All right, and this is it. This is what suits him so well. And I don't want to do the whole, you know, oh wow, maybe he's found a spot at United. No, he hasn't. All right, he doesn't play well in the majority of possession when he has the ball. A lot of the time, when they're asked to have the ball, he doesn't do well with it. He's not efficient with the ball. He'll lose it. And he's great out of possession. Out of possession, he is a relentless presser. He is absolutely rapid. Like, we can see that. He's so fast. And he can pick a good pass on a break. And his finishing is reasonable on the break as well. But at United, it's not just breaks. It's not just like that. At West Ham, he's going to be doing that all the time. And it suits him so, so well. And you saw that today. The Burbisman. Wow. It's the skill. He's a, He was excellent. And... Yeah, I just think he's he's come alive, and they look good. And West Ham, I was really I was nervous. I was thinking Declan Rice is gone. Hmm, is this going to be really really difficult? And they were at it. They were really at it, and and it took a wake up call for Wolves. Really, I mean, they were asleep. Wolves were sound asleep for the first half, mostly until well, I believe it's about forty minutes in. Forty three. Yeah. Forty three. West Ham is West Ham's in the middle of a really tough schedule too. Um, 
playing well, Andy. Could pull it out. It'd be really interesting to see, uh, you know, David Moyes and Jesse Lingard get in the top four together. Never would have said that. But other than this week, there is a big week of Champions League football. It's back uh, tomorrow. Real Madrid play Liverpool and Manchester City play Dortmund. Uh, you know, we got the injured, the, the team of injured players, as in uh, Real Madrid and Liverpool. And then we got, you know, let's. Let's do the rundown real quick for that game. All right, just injury wise. So we know we know the situation with Liverpool because we hear about it all the time. But I, I would just like to give a little more context to the situation at hand. So Hazard got left out of the squad. He is now eyeing El Clasico. So there's no Hazard. Uh, it was just named a few hours ago that for uh, excuse me, uh, Fede Valverde traveled, but last minute scratch. So he will not be participating. They already do not have Sergio Ramos. So that is the equivalent of Van Dyke being gone. Here's the worst part. They are without Carvajal. That is absolutely brutal. That means that Lucas Vasquez, who puts in a shift, all right, and has for years, okay? And that's it's nice. But on the other end, it's Marcelo. And Marcelo has been a part of, I believe, 12 of their 14 losses this season. He is the common denominator when they lose. So here's the recipe for success. You battle for your life. You hold for a low-scoring game because if they go down quick, the heads turn. They play Barcelona on Saturday or Sunday. Your 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 attention is gone for this for the Champions League. You focus, and I know it's Real Madrid, and that would that's a unbelievable thing to start to think. But they're three points off the top. Atletico Madrid dropped points this weekend. That is massive. This game this weekend is massive. If they go down quick, their heads will go. And Liverpool will coast to a semifinal. I truly believe that. It is going to come down to, can the likes of Kareem Benzema, who just bagged the goal at the weekend, will them along? Can Casemiro, and this is this is the player to watch for me, can Casemiro run that midfield? Can he keep the danger out of their box? And ultimately, Courtois is going to have to make game-saving saves. Okay, like that's what he does every week, whether it's in La Liga or the Champions League. And this is just a huge test for a team that is just beaten at this point, just beaten down. And this La Liga race is wearing them out. Yeah, I think uh, Real Madrid are in their worst moment possible. And it's terrible for them because Liverpool just just seem to be coming back at just the right moment too. So uh, a bit star-crossed here. But I I think Real Madrid are going to value the Barcelona game a lot higher than this game. I'm not going to say that they're going to maybe leave someone on the bench because they're going to rest him for Barcelona because this game has a big importance. Absolutely. We would never insinuate that they would set out on a Champions League night. You know, the Real Madrid, 12, 11, 13 Champions Leagues, whatever it is, they would never set out to lose. But if if Salah finds his way in behind Marcelo, which is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. My question is, does Liverpool score with... Firmino on the pitch early on, or do they have to wait until Diogo Jota? Because if Liverpool can score early, heck, if Firmino can score. Well, answer your own question. Who should you? Who do you want to start? I think Firmino should start. I, I, really, I really do think that Firmino should start. I know that Diogo rested. He's been electric for Portugal. Uh, but I, I do think this team just the gears turn and have been turning with Firmino in the squad for the past two years. And in the Champions League, he's been huge. And he showed up uh, and, and pulled out a shift against RB Leipzig. He's been consistent. He was in a bit of a rut. 
Of course, you want Diogo Jota out there, but if he can do that from the bench, I'd rather have him do it from the bench than have to start him. On Wednesday, Bayern Munich played PSG and Porto played Chelsea, and the only game I really want to hit here is the Bayern Munich-PSG game, as in uh, PSG do have Neymar and Mbappe, but Bayern Munich do not have Lewandowski. Uh, So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. PSG is very injured. They're missing Marco Verratti. They're missing a few of their defenders. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but that is definitely probably the highlight game. PSG, I have to say, looked a mess this past weekend. This was a huge, huge match against Lille, and Neymar was not fit, and that was clear as day. And he lost his head because of it, and he got a red card because he lost his head because he's not fit enough. And he wants the ball even when he's not fit. He couldn't do anything, and... They look out of sorts at the moment, and this is really, really difficult. But they have great players. Great players love big occasions, and that is that is a lot of what you have to hope for for them at the moment because what I saw this weekend against Lille was, was really unimpressive. Yeah, Bayern Munich also, with the Lewandowski injury, right, still opens up space for uh, Nabry, right? Still got Sané, still got Thomas Muller, still got Leon Skoretska, as he's been dubbed recently. But, yeah, the PSG loss to Lille was huge. The red card drama at the end just adds to it. But I I think the keys for the game, right, are PSG are still working to adapt to Pochettino's system, right? Mbappe's been great. Neymar's been great, of course. But I think they're they're not quick on reforming in the transition. And I think that Bayern Munich can really – uh, just get on that, the high press, getting the ball high up while PSG are in transition. And I think that Bayern Munich still extremely strong without Lewandowski. I think they could capitalize on that and maybe go ahead that way. It's time for our favorite part of the episode, predictions. Predictions. All right. So last week, uh, Andy got six points. Harrison got six points. Dav- David got one point. Uh, what? Sorry, sorry, four points. David got four points, <laughs> and I got a singular point, which means that our current standings are David in last place with 15 points, Andy in third with 17, Harrison in second with 20, and myself still in first but only barely with 22 points. So, uh, Andy, I know that you already told me your predictions, but go ahead and Tell the tell the listeners. So I'm going to be going with Liverpool to win over Villa, and I think that will happen because they're not going to lose 7-2 again, and they're in form, and Villa had to uh, really scratch out a win against Fulham, who probably should have beaten them. They may have Jack Grealish back. They may have Jack Grealish back, but I don't think that's going to matter. It's at Anfield. I think Liverpool will uh, rewrite. Liverpool the, have lost Anfield. Does six that mean games anything in a row they will, at they will, Anfield. They will rewrite the the myth. I prom- it will be fine. Um, and then I will be taking, unfortunately, Manchester United over Tottenham. I'd take them too. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I appreciate the faith, fellas. I I I, I would take. I can't take them, but I would. Chris. Uh yeah. So I'm, I'm rethinking them at the moment, but right now I'm going to take Arsenal over Sheffield United because I firmly believe that any team can beat Sheffield United, um, except for Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> no, we beat them earlier in the season. Uh, not both times. <laughs> not both times. Uh, not both times. Uh, and oh, man. 
The United one's a bit tough, but I think I'm going to start stick with my initial choice here, and that's going to be Southampton versus West Brom because I think West Brom getting the 5-2 over Chelsea, the perfect thing to follow that up for them, the thing that I, I'm expecting is an awful, awful 1-0 loss to Southampton. Right, you might have to yell at me if I took put, took these teams before, so you might have to. So I'm just warning you now. Oh, I'll check you if you did. All right, I'd like to take Southampton over West Brom. I don't think I've taken them. You're good. Okay. I'd also like to take Newcastle over Burnley. And oh, wrong. You've already <laughs> picked Newcastle. Uh, I'll take Crystal Palace over Chelsea. We don't take that. Nope. Can't take them either. Can't take that either. I'll take West Ham. Failing to prepare West is Ham. preparing West to Ham. fail. David. West Ham. West Ham. There's no way I've taken that. You have not taken West Ham. All right, Ham. I've taken West Ham. Boom. West Ham. Thank you all for joining us tonight. This is a great. Uh, oh, wait. I totally forgot Harrison. I'm a terrible person. I'm so sorry. Harrison. City over Leeds <laughs> and Fulham over Wolves. Classy. I See, I, I kind of thought in my head when he was talking about Sheffield and how they beat Sheffield, I kind of took that as, oh, predictions. Didn't, didn't even go through my head there. It's been a long weekend. It's been a long weekend. Uh, do you, would you care to close out the show? Yeah, do I want, should I close out the show now? Guys? Close out the show. Well, thank you all for joining us for Andy breaking his mic and our wonderful discussions about Manchester United and Tottenham. We'll be back next week to talk about more uh, Premier League and Champions League things. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.